If uh, you've been with us, we have we started months and months and months ago walking through the lives of the disciples. Then we ended. We started to end with uh, the thirteenth disciple to replace Judas, which then took us to the book of Acts, which then took us to the early church. And we've been walking our way through the book of Acts now. We're going to stop at chapter 9 because four years ago we started in Acts 9 and went through the rest of the book. So this morning we're doing the last message on, on this thing that started with the disciple. For the last month or so we've talked about Paul. In, in Acts 9 he's known as Saul. He's later going to be called Paul who wrote a majority of the, of the text, the Bible, that you have in front of you in the Old Testament. It's interesting as you take this journey in, in the book of Acts to see how the church developed and to see how the church evolved. And we talked about the idea that in the beginning they weren't called Christians. They're not going to be called Christians till Antioch. They're gonna, right now they're known as people of the way. And we've talked about the idea that how these people took great joy in persecution. When, when they suffered, when they struggled, when things went bad, they looked at it as they were counted worthy to suffer. And they, they, they just embraced it rather than, than fight it. We talked about the idea that um, this guy by the name of Saul, and, and that's who we're going to focus on this morning, Saul has an unusual past. Um, Saul is a... In, in his mind, in his upbringing, wanted to be the best Jew you could possibly be. And so he had worked his way all the way up through the system. He had walked, worked his way all the way up, actually, to the fact that he was a student of Gamaliel. Now, that means nothing to most of you. But in a modern-day world, here's how we would say it. Paul, or Saul, if he had gone to a military academy, would have been in the top 1% of his graduating class. If he attended Harvard, he, was been, he would have been in the top 1%, maybe even the valedictorian and the salutatorian. In other words, in the Jewish world, Paul was working his way up to ultimately become a rabbi, which was the pinnacle of the Jewish educational system. When we learn about Paul, the first time we're introduced to him, he's actually at the stoning of Stephen. Um, after Stephen stoned this people of the way continue to grow and develop. And so one of the things that Saul does, he says, look, they're causing the Jewish world problem. So he actually goes to the hierarchy in Jerusalem and says, look, give me a letter that lets me go out, find these people of the way, arrest them, and bring them all the way back to Jerusalem so we can try them and put them, and, and, and put them in court. And if we need to kill them, we'll kill them. But the idea was, I'm going to go arrest them and bring them back. Because that's what a really good Jew would do. So Paul is on this mission. Paul has spent his entire life to work his way up this system. And we've talked about in Acts chapter 9 how on one of his trips, as he was going out, all of a sudden God, he confronts God face to face, so to speak. And there's a bright light, and Paul, Saul, Paul, um, understands for the first time that he's been on the wrong side. And so, all of a sudden, it's Jesus Christ who says, why are you fighting against me? Now, you've got to understand, if you're a Jew, and you have done everything, and you've worked your way up, and you think that you're doing God's work by getting rid of these people of the way, and all of a sudden, God says, uh, you're on the wrong side, buddy. 
your entire world's turned upside down. Everything that you have thought was right is, is, is now spun in a different direction. And we talked about the idea that then he go, ends up blind for three days. He goes to Judas's house and Cornelius comes and, 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 and ends up getting his sight back. And he spends some time in Damascus. And last week we talked about the idea that he goes to Arabia for about three years. And we talked about that idea that after those three years, now he's learned and he's grown and he's ready to go serve God. And that's where we're going to pick up the story this morning. Acts chapter 9, here's what it says. Short verses, but packed. And when Saul had come to Jerusalem, so now he heads to Jerusalem, okay, um, and he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him. And they didn't believe he was a disciple. But Barnabas took him up and brought him to the apostles, and he declared to them how he had seen the Lord on the road, and that he had spoken to him, and how he had preached boldly at Damascus in the name of Jesus. Remember, this is the deal where they let him down in the wall. So he was with them at Jerusalem, coming in and going out, and he spoke boldly in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and disputed against the Hellenists, but they attempted to kill him. When the brethren found out, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him out to Tarsus. Now, Saul was from where? Tarsus. So Saul goes home. Okay? He's done all this stuff, and now he's right back to Tarsus. Okay? So with that in mind, I want to talk about the story. I want to point out a couple of things, and, and we'll, then we'll get into applying it early. Notice what happens. He goes to Damascus. We talked about that last week. He gets, he has, gets run out of town, so to speak. He comes to Jerusalem. Now, I want you to think about this for a minute. Put yourself in, back in that time, in this situation. You've been to Arabia for three years. God's been working in your heart. You're all ready to go back and reach the people for Jesus Christ. So you come to God's people, his disciples. And you say, hey, I'm here to help you. Now, these are people who follow God. These are people who are sensitive to God. These are people who God is leading. These are people who who are God's people. And you come to God's people and you say, hey, I'm here. I want to be one of you. And they go, "Uh -uh. (laughs) uh-uh. No, 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 no. You are Saul of Tarsus. We were there when you were part of Stephen being stoned. We know what you have done. We know how you went out and got here. This is just a ploy to get in with us so you can wipe us out too. We don't trust you. How would you have responded? Would you have been the one to go, we don't trust you? I know me enough to know this. I'm with the disciples. There is no way that guy is going to just walk in here and go, hey, I'm one of you now, and I go, oh, great. I, I, I'm a skeptic. I'm the, I'm the pessimist guy. I'm the guy who kind of looks at everything a couple of times before I embrace something. And that's what all the disciples do. But notice what it says. But what? Barnabas. One guy steps up and says, you know what? Time out, guys. You may not trust him, but you trust me. I will vouch for him. I will be the one. I declare, look, I I know he saw the Lord on the road 
I know that God had spoken to him. I know that he preached boldly in Damascus. I will stand up for him. You accept him because of me. And Barnabas steps up to the plate. And Barnabas becomes a hero here. And he stands in for Saul. And he says, look, accept him. Embrace him. Let him be one of us. Okay. Uh, Time out. For those of you who have been a Christian for a while and you're familiar with your Bible and everything else, let me take a quick rabbit trail and then hopefully I'll come back. Um, Here's what I think is fascinating. You know, I always tell you that the Bible has layers. And and, and the more you study the Bible, the more you read the Bible, the more layers that you see. Here's what's interesting. In this story, Barnabas steps up for Paul. Saul, Paul, okay? And he intercedes. His name means son of consolation. His name has the idea of, of, of being that intercessor kind of guy. He steps up and says, accept him because of me. And Paul, Saul, is the beneficiary of that, right? Fast forward a couple of Bible stories down the line. Saul, Paul, and Barnabas are on a missionary journey, first missionary journey. And guess what? They take a guy by them, with them, by the name of John Mark. John Mark, halfway through the journey, goes, "Uh, I'm out, guys. I'm going to go back home. And he leaves them. Fast forward, second missionary journey. Paul and Barnabas are getting ready and want to go on the second missionary journey, and guess what? John Mark goes, I want to go. And what does Paul say? <laughs> no, 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 no. Not on my watch. And Barnabas stands up for John Mark and says, no, 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 give him a second chance. Let him come with us, because that's the way Barnabas is. And Paul, being the godly man that he is at this point, says what? (laughs) No, you ain't going. I'm putting my foot down. He is not coming with me. There is no way he's coming with me. So Barnabas and Paul actually separate. Barnabas goes one way. Paul goes the other way. And it's interesting. At the end of his life, you know what Paul says? (laughs) I was wrong. John Mark is profitable for the ministry. I should have listened to Barnabas, basically, when he comes down, conclusion he comes to. <laughs> it's interesting to me, and we're going to talk about this in a minute. While Paul was willing to embrace and accept Barnabas being the hero for him, he wasn't willing to offer it to somebody else. Okay, done with the rap trail, come back. We're going to come back to that later. Notice what happened. It says, he stands up with him, and he speaks boldly in the name of the Lord Jesus, and he disputes against the Hellenists, but they attempted to kill him. Now, what happens here is, Paul comes into town. Paul is passionate. He wants to reach people for Christ. He he was known in this area for being against people of the way. Now he wants everybody to know he's changed and he's different. So he comes in, and I'm telling you what, folks, he stirs this thing up like nobody's business. In fact, he's only in Jerusalem for 15 days. But at the end of 15 days, now that's two weeks. Two weeks. He has stirred up so many people, they are ready to kill him. And so notice, I'm going to jump forward into another passage um, that I want you to see. Uh, Throw that one up there, guys. Uh, Where are we? Acts 22. Paul talks about this later. Notice what he says. Now it happened when I returned to Jerusalem and was praying in the temple... 
I was in a trance and I saw him, speaking of Jesus, saying to me, make haste and get out of Jerusalem quickly for they won't receive your testimony concerning me. So in other words, God reveals to him, he says, Paul, get out of there. You're, you're not going to live to see a ministry if you don't leave now. And Paul, being Paul, says what? Uh, Lord, they know that in every synagogue I imprisoned to beat those who believe on you. And when the blood of your martyr Stephen was shed, I was standing consenting to his death and guarding the clothes of those that were killing him. He says, look, Jesus, i got to make this right with everybody. i got to let everybody know that I've changed sides. God, you can't send me away. I've got stuff to do here. And what does Jesus say? Depart, from, depart, for I'll send you far from here to the Gentiles. God says, look, i got another plan for you, but if you stay here, you're going to die, and I won't get to use you like I want to use you, so get out of town, Paul. So the disciples come together in Acts 9, and they say what? Let's send him to, to, to Tarsus. Let's send him back home. Give you some insight here. You know how long he's in Tarsus? Depending on who you read, between seven and ten years. Seven to ten years. This is a guy who just got saved, who wants to serve God, who wants to reach people for Jesus Christ. Why does he go three years to Arabia, seven to ten years here? Why is it that after his salvation, it's like anywhere between ten and thirteen years before God sends him on his first missionary journey? You see, Saul was thought he was ready, but God still had some things to teach him. You see, God's timing on using him and his timing on using him were two different things. Um, and, and I'll give you a little insight on why I think that happened in a minute. But um, that's the story, and that's kind of how we end it. So when we end Acts chapter 9 here, basically Saul is in Tarsus. He's there for about seven to ten years. And by the way, what's going to happen next is Barnabas is going to come and get him. And they're going to go back to Jerusalem. And they're going to start the first missionary journey. So that's the story in a nutshell. So let's talk about some takeaways for us, some things that maybe can help us as we try to live for God this week. Here's the first one. <clears throat> Somebody's got to be a hero. Somebody's got to be the hero. Somebody's got to step up when everything else is going one way and say it needs to go a different way. In this situation, this thing was going south fast. Here's God's man coming back to God's leadership, to God's people, to the disciples of the day and saying, hey, I'm here for you to, to be one of you. And every one of them said no, except for Barnabas, who stood up and, and was the hero here and said, you know what? No, 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 guys, listen. You don't believe him, believe me. You don't trust him, trust me. Somebody's got to be a hero. Here's my question to you. In what situation is it that you need to stand up and be a hero? See, I see this all the time. Where everybody's taking sides and everybody's fighting against it. And no one wants to stand up and try to stop it or change the direction of it. We all admire the heroes. I mean, you think about the movies. You know, I'm one of those guys that I love the movie where it's like the underdog stands against everything, and the next thing you know, um, you know, he's, he, he or she, everybody's going, okay, you know what, we will follow them because they were willing to go against the grain. 
And yet, the irony is many of us will refuse to do it. And I'm not talking about big, not necessarily in big things. Um, in your marriage, who's going to be the hero? Well, they treated me that way. I'm not going to say that. I can, make, I can just make their life miserable. You just watch how well I can make their life miserable. They think that they're going to do that, then I'm not going to do that, and then I'm going to do that. And then the other person goes, well, you know what? If they're going to treat me that way, I'm going to treat them this way, and we're going to... Who's going to be the hero? Who's going to step up and say, you know what? Uh, doesn't matter to me. You're too important to me. And our relationship and our marriage is too important for me to make this a do-or-die issue. See, some of you have got family interactions where, I mean, there are people who haven't spoken to each other for years. Who's going to be the hero? Who's going to stand up and say, enough is enough? I'm not going to choose sides. I'm not going to play the game. We're going to focus on what we need to focus on, and we're going to be a family. Because I'm going to tell you right now, I've been at this job long enough to know this. When there's a funeral... And you're standing there planning the funeral, or you're standing there at the casket, that stuff won't matter. And I have watched it play out over and over and over, and I've watched people live with regrets for a lifetime because of something so silly and stupid. And I know, kids, I'm not supposed to say stupid, but it's stupid, all right? Um, <laughs> Because you got something in your craw and you weren't willing enough to be the hero to say, this isn't important. And it is so silly sometimes. Kids, kids, you're getting ready to start school this week. Somebody needs to be a hero. When that conversation in school starts going in a wrong direction, somebody needs to stand up and change the topic. When people are starting to make fun of that kid, somebody needs to stand up and go, you know what, let's not talk about them like that. Oh, are you their friend? Well, if I need to be, yeah. We just don't talk about people like that. We don't, okay, you know me. I, don't, I got no problem jumping in where it, gets, where it gets deep. Political discussions. It is like a feeding frenzy. Where somebody says this, and then it's like, oh, yeah, and you know this, and then this, and then this, and then this. And what happens? You walk away angry, frustrated, mad at everybody, mad at the government, and then you walk home and you take it out on your spouse. Here's what I've started doing. Some of you, if you listen long enough, you'll get this. I just changed the topic. My wife's really good at this on stuff in our family. Um, now, she has a topic, yeah, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not going there, but she has a topic that is one of those things that nobody wants to talk about, and she will throw it in the middle of a conversation, everybody's like, oh, no, we don't want to talk, it's like, okay, great, let's move on then, because if you're going to talk about that, I'm going to talk about this, and it's like, oh, no, let's talk about something else, exactly, somebody has to stand up and be a hero. In this case, it was Barnabas. And it's interesting to me. Paul is incredibly receptive of Barnabas being the hero until Barnabas is standing up for somebody that Paul doesn't want to accept. And then all of a sudden, it's like, oh, and, and Paul learns from it. But I want to challenge you because some of you, listen, 
you have the opportunity to be the hero and change it now. You may not have that opportunity tomorrow. So take advantage of it while you have it. Second idea is this, I think. Be careful about what you oppose. See, here's what kind of boggles my mind in this story is these were good people. The disciples were people who were sensing the leader at hand of God. And yet, they were fighting against something that God was right in the middle of. Because of their prejudices and biases and their, their way that they looked at stuff, and all of a sudden, they could not see past Saul to see what God was at work doing. And that is so important for us as Christians. To step back and say, is God in the middle of this? And if God's in the middle of this, maybe I need to back off of my opposition to it. You know, I watch good pastors, good friends of mine. They jump in and they oppose things that, you know what, I'm going to just kind of stand back and go, I don't know if God's in that or not, but until I know for sure, I'm not going to oppose it. You know, and, and that is so important because as you go forward in your Christian journey, one of the things you do start to learn is God don't do things the way you think they ought to be done. You think about it for a minute. Would you have chosen, you know, I look at my life. Would I have chosen the path that God chose to get me here? Not on your life. God didn't do it the way I thought it should be done. God works differently. God thinks differently. God acts differently than we do. And, and, and in your life right now, there might be some situations where God's at work, but you can't see past this. Be careful. Be careful. Because the disciples here are good, good, good people. When Paul came in, went, no, we ain't having nothing to do with you. But Barnabas, who was sensitive to God's leading, who was sensitive to what God was able to step in and say, let me tell you something, guys. I've watched God work in his life. I've seen God at work here. This is a God thing. Don't fight it, boys. I think it's so important. One of the things that, 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 that's important for me as a pastor as we go forward. You know, we prayed for years about building on it. But we wanted to wait till it was God's time, not ours. And what's exciting to me is I can walk out there and see God's fingerprints over all kinds of things. There are story upon story upon story of things that God has done that only God could do. And we have watched as God worked and God just has done so many things out there. And so it's easy for me to sit back and go, yeah, I, I know we need to do this. Why do I know we need to do this? Because God's finger, God, God, has, God has put too many things in place to ignore it. Because God's in a What does God have in plan? I don't know. I'm not one of those guys who does, you know, vision casting and long-term. Man, I'm happy to plan this week. You know? I just know this, it's been an incredible journey and it's going to continue to be an incredible journey and I just want to be in the middle of it. Like I tell our board when we pray, Lord, don't let us get in front of you. Don't let us get behind you. Help us to walk step by step inside with, side by side with everything you want to do here. I think sometimes we forget and we've got to be careful here what you oppose. I think a third lesson that I see in this, in, in this story and it's kind of a, it's one of those layered issues here but you have to be careful with your zeal um you see here's what happened paul had been 100 percent aggressively against the people of the way 
he had been spent three years God teaching him and working in his heart. I think also working with the Arabian people. And then he comes to Damascus. He gets run out of town there, and he comes to Jerusalem. Well, Jerusalem is where he did a lot of his really bad stuff. And he wants to. I think he's so zealous to ever let everybody know. I was wrong. I've changed sides. I'm with the people of the way now. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do the very things that, that, that I imprisoned them for, um, even killed them for. I'm, I'm but, but the subtle story is this. Because of his zeal, he started undoing what God was doing with the disciples to the point that God said, get out of town. Because he had the zeal and the passion, but he didn't have the knowledge that he needed to temper it a little bit, to back off and go, okay, what you say, how you say it, when you say it are all equally important. And so it was one of those things where I think God had to send him back home because there's nothing that humbles you more than going back home. You know, when I go to visit my mom, love her to death. Oh, my little boy's home. Mom, I'm a grown man. I have grandchildren. You know. Well, I have your room ready. Mom, it hasn't been my room. I've never even lived in that room. You have moved four times since I left the house. It's not my room, you know. I love her to death, you know. But it's the idea of, you know, wait a minute, you know. Wait a minute, Mom. You know, you, get, you have to understand that. And so home is always humbling because I have to listen to that the whole week. Because I'm not going to go against my mom. Mom, don't do that to me. How dare you call me that? Don't you know I have a real home? <laughs> no. And if she listens on a message, she's going to hear it. But, I mean, um, <laughs> yeah, that audio stuff, that's like a two-edged sword for a pastor. Uh, but anyway, I mean, I, you, <laughs> hopefully she can't figure out how to get to iTunes. Um, but, <laughs> I mean, you see what I'm saying? It's the idea. So now Paul has to go home where everybody knows him growing up. And so it tempers what his message a lot, and he figures out a way to present it and how to do it. I, I think there's another element. I, this is, again, talk about the layers. <clears throat> I think Paul needed to learn a trade before he went on the road. You see... If you know anything about the Jewish educational system, what would have happened for Paul or Saul as he grew up, he never would have learned daddy's trade. He would have gone from one school to the next school to the next school to the next school all the way up. When he failed at school, they would have sent him back home to learn daddy's trade. So Saul grows up never learning the family trade. Now in Tarsus, back where he's home, he had some opportunity to pick up a little bit of tent-making skills. Because you see, God knew that down the line, Saul, money's going to get a little tight, and you're going to have to go make tents for a while. So I need you to be able to be able to make some tents to be able to help yourself so you can do what I want you to do in ministry. So I think in that 10 years, there was a whole thing where God was preparing him and humbling and helping him understand how to present his message in a way that wasn't zeal without knowledge, but it was, it was knowing what to say, how to say it, when to say it, the timing in it all. So that when he starts that first missionary journey, God uses him in incredible ways. Look, some of you right now are frustrated because you want to do something for God and you want to accomplish something for God, and it's not happening fast enough for you. It may be and probably is because God's got some other things that he wants to do along the line. 
to prepare you for what he has down the road. I look at my own journey. That was true of me. I mean, I'm telling you right now, when I got out of college, if God would have said, okay, here's your first pastor at Holly Springs, I would have blown this place up. I almost did anyway, but I mean, I really would have done it bad back then. I've had no background behind it, but it was God saying, no, no, no. Okay, you know, and then when God put me on the farm, man, I want you to talk about humble. Um, ask the guys about the day that I said, I want to learn to bale hay. So I went out. Lael still remembers it. I went out in a pair of shorts and a T-shirt and threw hay bales. Huh? For a little while. <laughs> Till I realized this was a really bad idea. You know, to have to call my neighbor and go, look, I can't do anything but this hog. I'm going to put a gun to its head if you can't get over here now. And then, wise farmer, walked over with a bucket of corn, pig stuck its head in it, backed it all the way in. I'm like, well, I could have done that. Because I busted a shovel over the back end of the thing trying to get it to move. Turned around and looked at me like, what do you think you're doing? I'm not going anywhere. And God taught me an awful lot about being a Christian and a hog farmer. Not sure they're compatible, but um, close. If you can do both, I mean, you're a saint in my world. I mean, really. And, and I say that, I say all of that, folks, to say this. Look, some of you are frustrated because God's not working fast enough in your situation. Or God's not doing it the way you think it ought. Look, trust him. Trust him. Christian growth is a time thing. It's not an instant thing. It's not like my Keurig. Where I throw the little K-cup in and punch a little button. And some of you, that's what you want with your Christian life. You want your Christian life. It's like, okay, God, I, okay, Lord, listen, I, I, know I've, I, I know I've had this struggle. I know my wife and I have fought for year after year after year after year after year. I'm praying this one time, so change it all now. You don't even get into it overnight. You're not going to get out of it overnight. It's going to be a process. It's going to take time. Growth is, I mean, you think about it for a minute. You know, the stuff that you have on your farm that you have grown and babied and taken care of, you know, talk to Segerman right now, trying to raise. How often do you have to feed those little puppy things? An hour and a half, two hours. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's like raising a child, isn't it? Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Why? It takes time. It's a process. Don't get frustrated with the process. Saul, Paul, is later going to say it this way. In due season, you'll reap if you don't quit. If you hang in there, you'll see the payout. But you've got to hang in there. And, and, and I want to encourage you because some of you are frustrated right now. Because you've got a situation you're praying for and asking God to... And, it's just not happening fast enough. Hang in there. Hang in there. Because God's timing is not your timing. And that is a life lesson that makes it important for us to learn to just trust him. Often my wife and I, when we come up against something that was just bigger than us and we couldn't see our way out and we couldn't see any hope or whatever else, 
There's a simple thing that my wife and I always came down to is this. Has God ever let us down? Has God ever not taken care of us? Has God ever not provided for us? Why would God have invested all of those years in us and then just walk away? And let me tell you something. There was some dark time. But you know what? God was always faithful. And I want to challenge you because some of you are, are, are struggling right now that way. You don't see God doing Trust him. Saul had to wait 13 years, 10 to 13 years, before he ever gets on his first missionary journey. But when he goes, there is a zeal and there is a passion that is tempered with knowledge and experience and humility. And you watch God do some incredible things with him in an incredible journey, and then he continues to do journey after journey. And then he writes back to these churches, and you and I are recipients of some of those books where we can read what he said and be encouraged by it to help us as we go forward as well. So I end this morning this way. God may want you to be the Barnabas or the hero in somebody's life. It's vital that we're sensitive to God's plan, that we don't oppose the things that God is at work doing in the lives of others. Sometimes in our zeal, we can hurt or hinder the work that God wants to do in the lives of those around us. This passage challenges us to be sensitive to God's direction and not our own, and to accept God's timing and plan instead of our timing and our plan. Let's pray. Lord, thanks for the lessons. But again, Lord, if we just hear this morning then it's not going to do us any good this week. So help us to apply it. Lord, for some, they need to be the hero in somebody's life, and they need to step up, and they need to step in and get involved. may not be their temperament, may not be the way they normally do things, but Lord, give them the courage to do that. For some relationship, for some marriages there, somebody's got to step up, Lord, and, and, and put an end to it. For some families, it's the same thing. Lord, for others... Uh, in their zeal, in their desire to accomplish things, Lord, it sometimes they don't stop and really be sensitive to what you want them to do. So help us to be careful there. And Lord, for all of us, as you do things in our lives, may we trust you and not our own plan. May we, may we not quit, but may we be faithful in all that we do. And Lord, for those here whom, Lord, the whole life thing is a struggle for them. I pray that you would help them to understand that, uh, Lord, it's a relationship with Christ that changes it all. And, and, and thank you, Lord, for doing that for us. And uh, guide in our lives this week. These things we ask in your name. Amen. Um, let's stand and we're going to sing. Um, I will serve him. Let's sing the first.